hockey fans. The pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot in an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ICTPOD, bet $5 on any NHL team to win, and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code ICTPOD at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Rangers fans, listen up. We are deep into the playoffs, and if you're participating in the tradition of growing out your beard to playoff lengths, then I have an offer for you. Head on over to norsebeards.com for all of your top-of-the-line beardsman needs. Looking to keep your beard from feeling itchy? Then you'll want to buy their all-new natural beard oil. It will repair your dry or damaged beard and will make it unbelievably soft and smell great. Use promo code OCS in all caps to get a discount on beard products. Just because the Rangers are too young and incapable of growing facial hair doesn't mean you can't take care of your beard. So head over to norsebeards.com now. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I'm your host, Joey DiMeglio, and as of Thursday afternoon, the New York Rangers and Tampa Bay Lightning are tied 2-2 in the Eastern Conference Finals after the Rangers grabbed the first two games at MSG and Tampa grabbed games three and four at home. We have another special guest joining us this week, and this should be a familiar face. I'm pleased to welcome Emily Kaplan from ESPN. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. You know, just before we jump into the questions, I just have to say I wasn't expecting a response and I was surprised when I saw you got back to me when you did because I tagged you in a tweet like four days prior. So I'm just thankful that you're here today. You know, I don't always look at my mentions and quite honestly, I've been doing it less and less as um, the playoffs have gone on just because it can be such a toxic space. Mm -hmm. But you left, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was such a lovely compliment. I was just so touched by it. So I was like, you know what, if this kid has the, you know, audacity to go and put that out there in the universe the least I could do is give them a little bit of my time well I mean I I meant every word of it and you know I said I said you that you did like a you've been doing a great job covering the series uh it was I think I had uh, sent it out during the Carolina series the second round and you've done a, a really good job covering like both sides of, of both teams so it was it was a nice it was nice to see that and um you know, maybe Kevin Weeks will do that eventually. Maybe look at his mentions. And by the way, Ice Cold takes followers on Twitter. Today's day 29 of uh, hashtag asking for weeks. We're trying to get Kevin Weeks on the <laughs> podcast for a 10 to 15 minute interview. So I love I'm, it. I'll nudge him for you. I can't yeah. promise anything, but I'll give him a nudge. I'm sure he's incredibly busy doing his breaking news stories from on top of the Empire State Building, <laughs> in front of the Hudson River, um, in Mars. Uh, you know, he's that having a good old everywhere. time. The yeah. true Mr. Worldwide. Yes, yes. ESPN Wide World of Sports. That's Kevin Weeks for you right there. But we're I'm so thankful that you're on today. We'll we'll take that. We'll take we'll take Emily Kaplan. Um going into the questions, I know you're a reporter and you have to stay neutral, but was there a team that you rooted for growing up? There was, and I'll admit it, and you know, 
the preface this is now I have been totally neutralized from my fandom and what I've root for are good people and good stories, mm-hmm. good travel, good deadlines, things that make my life easier. Um, but I did grow up a Rangers fan. Uh, I grew up in North Jersey. My dad was a pretty big Rangers fan. And actually how I got into hockey was re- watching Rangers games with him. I was a middle child of three girls. I always thought he hated me. So did they get closer <laughs> with him? Um, I'd watch Rangers games with him growing up. Um, you know, it's probably been quite a few years since I've really rooted for them. And it's just kind of been surreal just being able to cover games at Madison Square Garden because it is the world's most famous arena. And it does carry a special place just in the sports universe. Um, I can't say I'm rooting for them now, but there are players on the team that I like and stories on the team that I want to root for. But I also feel that way about the Tampa Bay Lightning because there's guys on that team that I like and stories on that team that I'm rooting for, too. Totally understood. Also, who was your favorite player growing up? I had a couple, you know, I always had a soft spot for Brandon Dubinsky. I just thought that I liked the way he played. He played really hard. Um, Callahan was another guy that I really admired. And it's kind of surreal that I'm his coworker now. And he's been so kind and supportive. Callie has. And honestly, I'm just putting this out there in the universe. He is a rising star at ESPN and as a hockey analyst, because he wants to be really good at it. And he's putting in the work and he's just naturally gifted at giving really honest opinions in a way that I think a lot of ex-players shy away from. So I've just been so impressed just getting to know him. And he's just a really cool dude. Mm-hmm. It seems like he he and John Tortorella kind of go along well. I was watching a little bit of the uh, the trade deadline show and they kind of went off of each other pretty well. So that was cool to see because it was a former player for the Rangers and a former coach of the Rangers. And, you know, I love Tortorella. Callahan was also like my favorite player. Um, can't say enough good things about the guy. So it's really good to see him have the success that he's having at ESPN. And uh, speaking of ESPN, you started working for them in 2017. So tell me, how did you get to that point? Like, how did you start your career? Yeah, so um, right out of college, I got a job with Sports Illustrated. I was interning for them at first, and then they gave me a job as like a project employee. I really wanted to work there kept knocking on doors, kept working hard. And finally I got this like writer reporter role, which was super cool. And I covered the NFL and it was awesome. Like I was, you know, 23, 24 years old covering the NFL. Peter King was a mentor. He would um, take us around. He had started this old mi- micro site that I started writing for the MMQB. Um, and just, we got to shadow him and that was super cool. Um, but Peter always said that I needed to have my own beat and to be successful in this, I kind of need to own a beat and cut my teeth that way. Um, I think he was thinking more of like a football beat, like covering the Patriots for the Boston Globe or something like that. Um, but ESPN called me about a football job and uh, I went in for an interview and I must have mentioned my love of hockey a few times in the interview because, again, hockey was my favorite sport to watch growing up. And um, they called me back a few weeks later and it was right when they went through a massive la- round of layoffs, which was really unfortunate. Um, guys like Scotty Burnside and Pierre Lebrun, who I just wanted to have a side note, have been so gracious with me and such good friends and mentors and you'd think they might be salty because you know of the way things turned out but they're just true professionals basically ESPN said our biggest need right now is a national hockey reporter um you mentioned you like hockey would you be interested and I just thought that was the coolest opportunity so I took it and so for four years I covered uh the NHL for ESPN mostly for ESPN.com and it was definitely a different world as a non-rights holder so you didn't care that it wasn't like football. You just kind of, just because it was sports, you kind of just, you went with it. Yeah. And for me, it was kind of an upgrade because at Sports Illustrated, I think I was like the fifth or sixth NFL writer. So if there was a big story or like a big event, like 
I'm not the first person they call, right? Like I was kind of getting everybody else's scraps. Um, and at ESPN, they hired me, then they hired Greg Wyshynski right after. And I'm like, I'm one of two people covering this sport. Like I can own a beat, um, an entire league for a pretty big network. And I thought that was a really cool opportunity. Gotcha. And a uh, bit of a personal question, but I know other people are also interested in this field, but what would be the best piece of advice you'd give to those looking to start a career in sports journalism? Um, I'm pretty sure this came from Dave Anderson, who's a legendary New York Times columnist, but be a respectful pest. Um, I think in this business, it's all about persistence. And like, I was telling you about my job at Sports Illustrated, like I went to my boss's office every other week and they're like, there's never going to be a job for you here. The head count, we can't make it work. Sorry, you're talented. It's never going to happen. But I kept working hard and I kept going in. And then finally they did open a door and that doesn't happen for everybody. But um, when one door closed, it doesn't necessarily mean it's closed. Um, but be respectful about it. And, you know, there's two things in a life you can control, how hard you work and how you treat other people. And I think about that often. And I do feel like the people who treat other people well and go about their work in a pleasant and easy way do get further in the end, as do the people who work hard. And I kind of want to point out, I mean, I interviewed Arto Ocal and that guy's got a, a degree in mathematics. And he went from that to um, where he is now on ESPN with The Point with Greg Wyshynski. And uh, talking to him basically just kind of opened my eyes because I went to school for biology. I actually just graduated. And now I'm going for my master's in sports journalism. And, um, you know, doing the podcast kind of opened my eyes to make me see this is what I really want to do. Like, science is great and all. Science is great. And, and all, I also but- think that there's like such a cool area to explore for people who have different backgrounds. Like I knew I always wanted to be a sports journalist and this is all I know, but I wish I had a background in another field. Or like, I think that's super cool that you're in biology because I think you'll look at things with a different lens and question things in a different lens and you just have a different experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think so too. But I, I think the main takeaway is like, if you're passionate about it, then you're going to be able to do it kind of like you. For so sure. you always knew that you wanted to be, a sports journalist and you know you were persistent and eventually you got to where you are now so that's good to hear especially for me that's you know trying doing a little bit of a career change going from science to sports you ready showtime on may 3rd summer starts with the fall guy let's do it later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. But on to the Eastern Conference Finals, which is going to be the meat of this episode. The Lightning had eight days off between the end of their second round series against the Panthers and the start of the third round. How much of an impact do you think that had on the team? And was it true that they didn't skate or practice uh, during that time off? I had heard a couple things saying like they didn't skate at all. I don't know if that was true. No, they did skate and they practiced. They did give the guys some time off, never more than two days in a row. And they tried to ramp it up, but like the truth is, no matter how many drills you do or how many scrimmages you have with your black aces, trying to get them to go as hard as you can, uh, nothing replicates game action. And the Lightning came into the series, like, trying to shug it off publicly. Like, no, the nine days won't be an issue. But it clearly was. Like, I think the way it manifested itself, firstly, they just didn't look like they had their legs in the first game. 
Secondly, turnovers. They were just, you know, trying to do too much, manufacture something out of nothing. And I think they settled out probably around midway through game two, I think is when we saw the turning point. And now I think that the energy levels are matched between the teams. And if anything, the Rangers are looking a little bit more tired just because they've played, I think it's 17 games in 35 days, which is a lot of hockey. Um, But that's something that was totally a factor. And I think will be a factor going to the Stanley Cup final, whoever makes there, because Colorado has a very long break. Yeah, Colorado just swept Edmonton. And, you know, with the Rangers, Rangers fans know this, seemingly every single playoff series the team wins, it has to be in seven games because, you know, there has to be pain for the fans. Um, But, I mean, they look good through the first two games. And then I saw, I don't know about you, but would you have seen games one and two as warm-up games for Tampa's, uh, considering that they've now evened up the series and they've clearly dominated play since then? Like you said, since midway through game two? I don't know if it was like warm-up games. I think the way Tampa views it is we were hoping to steal one of those at MSG and we didn't. And that just made our hill harder to climb. But like, we feel confident that we can climb it. And that's their mindset. That may, I mean, it makes sense that because they're the defending, defending Stanley Cup champions. <laughs> I was, as a fan and someone that, you know, talks about the Rangers, you know, once a week for, for the podcast, um, I was just waiting for Tampa Bay to break out. The Rangers had not lost to them at all during the regular season, but I, I don't put any, I don't put any any like value into that. The regular season, the playoffs are completely different. I believe Florida had a really good record against Tampa during the regular season, and look at them; they got swept. It's just a completely different ball game. Same thing, Rangers Carolina. Carolina stomped us during the the regular season, and then in the playoffs, the Rangers managed to find a way to win that that series in seven games. But uh, I've noticed that Tampa Bay has been the team that has controlled possession of the puck since that third period in game three. I think that was a, a big turning point. Uh, what did you What did you take away from game three, their first win? Yeah, game three. Um, honestly, just going back to Tampa, like for whatever reason, home ice advantage feels like it matters more in these playoffs than it has in most years. And so like, I felt like having the crowd behind them, they came back energized, you know, midway through game two, like the turning point for me is when they move Kutra, um, Stamkos rather up to that top line with Kucherov as setter. And then all of a sudden, like you're running a shorter bench, they, you know, get their top guys out there more. And then when they get home, they can control the matchups a bit better. So that's, you know, kind of what I saw. And then once they get to Tampa, they go with 12 forwards and that means that they can get a more consistent rotation and get those matchups that they want against the Rangers. And then Strom goes down and game four, Heedle goes down. And then all of a sudden now we're questioning the Rangers depth, which is never what you want at this point in the series. And uh, jumping off a little bit, I wanted to ask you if you knew anything else about the injuries to Strom and Heedle. It looked like Strom wasn't feeling good enough to play in game four. Yeah. So Strom had a non-contact injury. It's definitely something his lower body, whether it's a hammy knee, um, you know, he wanted to go um, in game four and he did that warm up, but it just, it, you could tell he just, he knew he wasn't there. Um, as for Hedl, I hate to speculate. Um, it, it could be a concussion. Um, it, it could be a wrist or something that, you know, when he got crunched into the boards by Hedman, we'll know more tonight, but like right now they're just being listed as game time decisions. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rangers fans don't like to trust Gerard Gallant because he kind of, you know, he'll say one thing and then something completely different happens. And it's no fault of his own. It's just, you know, when he's asked a question, he might not have had a chance to talk to the trainer yet. So 
there's that that factors into it. So it's just a little disappointing when we hear that, you know, oh, Strom should be ready to go. And then when he comes, when game five starts or, or um, game four starts, he's out of the lineup. Um, but also, what about Braden Point? What have you heard about Yeah, him? that one's interesting because, like, again, back to the coaches, like, I get why they say what they say at certain times. Like, there's got to be some element of gamesmanship at this time of year. And before the series, John Cooper pretty much told us, like, look, Braden Point's not playing in the series. Like, sorry, guys. Like, it's just not going to happen. But then he gets on the ice. And, like, the first two times he got on the ice, like, he took nasty spills. And that just shows that he doesn't trust um, whatever part of his leg is injured. It's definitely his lower body. Um, but today, as we're talking, you're ahead of game five. He was practicing with the regulars and looked pretty good. Um, didn't take any spills, looked like he was going at decent speed. Um, he's working really hard behind the scenes. And like at this point, I feel like it's trending for him to make an appearance either in game six at home or game seven. And I think it's kind of like Stamkos two years ago when he was in the bubble where like he knows he's not 100%, but he just feels like he needs to give himself that opportunity to get back out there even if it does make the injury worse. Gotcha. Okay, I see. I see that. Yeah, Tampa Bay is just a completely different team when he's out on the ice. It'll be interesting to see how much of a difference it'll make if he's not at 100%, like how much different the team will be. But we know for a fact that Braden Point is just an, a, a tremendous player, and he just brings a whole another aspect to Tampa Bay. And as a fan of the Rangers, I hope he doesn't come back, but I hope he's okay. You know, um, going back to the series, um, you had mentioned turnovers were a big thing for the first two games for, for Tampa Bay. I've also noticed that they're still making a couple turnovers in their own end, but they've kind of cracked down on that, kind of breaking the puck out a little bit more. But what has been the turning point for Tampa Bay from talking to players, coaches, and like your view in the arena? What's been the biggest turning point for Tampa Bay leading to them evening up the series? Yeah, again, the turning point was probably midway through game two. And, like, if I want to find another area where I think they really cleaned up their game, like, they were trying to get in on the forecheck, right? And they were really good at being aggressive, being the first guy there. But they could never win those puck battles. So they could never establish their forecheck. Now they're starting to win those puck battles and win possession and keep the Rangers out of their own zone, quite frankly. Um, the Rangers were also having a really easy time earlier with their zone entries and zone exits. And now... They just seem a lot harder. And so that to me is a sign of a team that's like on its A game and finding its rhythm um, that they didn't have earlier in the series. Also, I kind of find like a similar style of like forechecking from Tampa Bay as to Carolina. When Carolina was having success against the Rangers in their home games, you know, they were pressuring, they were relentless on the, the forecheck and, you know, the Rangers would just be chasing them around until they're like extremely tired and they can't even make a, a breakout pass. So is that, do you kind of see similarity between the two teams? Totally. Yeah. And like those first two games where we kept talking about like Tampa looks so slow, Tampa looks so slow. Now they look fast and mm-hmm. they look aggressive. And those are the words that we use to describe the Carolina Hurricanes. So I think that was a really astute observation. Yeah. And I mean, is it, is it like fair to say that because they're pressuring so much that leads to the Rangers, you know, feeling pressured and you know unable to make being tired and you know not making an easy pass here and there when they should because I feel I've picked up I've picked up on a lot of instances where there's a pass that's open and it goes a little bit off a little bit wide further ahead and leads to like an icing doesn't come to anything like in a play that leads to like a goal or anything for Tampa Bay but still a misplay regardless 
Yeah, there was a couple of times in game four, like, I don't want to pick on him because he's not the only one, but I just noticed with Jacob Truba, who, again, has played so many hard, heavy minutes lately. Um, but, like, he'd get the puck, and he just looked like he was just trying to get rid of it and just, like, get rid of it as quickly as possible and maybe not making the smartest pass or the smartest. And that, to me, is a sign of exhaustion and just feeling overwhelmed and not overwhelmed by the moment, just overwhelmed by, like, the constant pressure, the forecheck, the speed, all of that. I don't like to, to you know, pin a game or anything on one particular player. I will kind of try to cough it up on one, like, on the team as a whole. And it was unfortunate that Truba took three penalties in game three. Um, but last week, I, I actually talked to Jamie McClendon. He was saying that Jacob Truba, he, he called them, quote, a unicorn, as in, like, a one-of-a-kind player, someone that throws the body and, you know, is very physical, but I think him le- eating up all those minutes, I agree with you that he's definitely fatigued at this point. He's a bit older, but uh, hopefully he could, he could you know, get himself together because the Rangers kind of need him. Uh, he, likes to, he likes to take shots, lay the body, eat up minutes. Uh, the Rangers need him at, at their best. Uh, but moving on to my next question, I know you're not in between the glass like Ray Ferraro but did it seem like there was any panic from the Rangers bench at any point during game four? No, I don't think so. Um, They're a really calm, even keel team. And like, I think it's really impressive composure for such a young team, a team without a captain just, and I almost feel like it's a benefit that they don't have a captain because like any player can lead at any time. And so like guys who come in from the trade deadline, like Andrew Kopp can all of a sudden come into that locker room and be an automatic leader. But um I think a lot of it stems from the coach too, Glantz identity. He's not a screamer on the bench. He's not a panicker ever. Um, I, I think they feel confident in themselves. Maybe they're a bit disappointed with the way they played the last two games, but they all feel super confident that coming back to MSG, they'll be able to find their game again. If Gallant ever yells, it seems like he yells at the referees and not <laughs> players on the There bench. was once in the last series early on when um, Mika, and maybe it was the end of the Pittsburgh series, Maybe it was the beginning of the Canes, but he did give it to Mika on the bench. Um, and I remember Ray and I were pretty surprised because yes. we're like, like, we don't typically see that. Since that moment, I would say Mika's been pretty damn good. So maybe that type of coaching does work every once in a while. Yeah, that I, I remember I pick up on I picked up on that. I think that was the end of the the Pittsburgh series, somewhere around then. Um it must have been one of the home games. Because, yeah, it just didn't make any sense that he was, you know, yelling at Mika. They had just won the game, and I, I had no idea what, what he was barking at. Um, so I guess that kind of just blew over with fans because they won they won the game. So um, there is that. Um, but what's been the overall consensus from, like, the Rangers based on your conversations with players and Glant now that the series is tied? And, like, what's kind of their feel? What do they feel that they need to do to get a victory tonight in Game 5? They just find their game. You know, I, I think it'll be challenging if Hedl's not in there because that kid line has been the most productive in the last two. And then all of a sudden you guys, you get guys out of the roles that they were doing really well in that role and you, you kind of mess with the juju that way. But um, it's just establishing their game early, not letting the lightning dictate it. Um, maybe it's finding some matchups that they like. Um, and, and really, I think it's just more sustained pressure on Vasilevsky. You know, when a goalie like that gets locked in, it's really hard to get pucks past him. So a volume of pucks on net, a volume of good shot quality on net, you know, not just getting pucks, but making sure they're ones that theoretically could get in. And 
maybe just crashing his crease a little bit more, kind of like what the Tampa Bay Lightning have been doing now, just Sturkin. <laughs> yeah, just don't take the penalties. Don't actually exactly. run the goalie over. And yeah, I think Tampa Bay did a good job of you know, making the, the shooting lanes easy for Vasilevsky to see, especially in game four. There weren't many high-quality chances for the Rangers. They didn't get their first goal. They didn't get a goal until very late in the game, and that came on the power play. So it's been, it's been, it's gone since game two where the Rangers last had their even strength goal. And I think Panarin put it best that the Rangers need to come out more hungry tonight in game five. And then Kreider also said that the Rangers have to be a little bit more unselfish with their shooting, uh, try and, you know, not hesitate. There was a little bit of hesitation. They would take a shot, but it wouldn't be of the high quality that you had referred to. So it was just an easy save for Vasilevsky. But you had mentioned that the the kid line and that they've been been playing really well. And I mean, that's been the key since the the beginning of the playoffs, since round one against Pittsburgh. Uh, What's been your thoughts on on them as a whole? Like what stood out to you? I think just their stories. Like this is um, three kids who got drafted really high in the draft. Number one overall, number two overall. Kittle was 21 or somewhere around there. And I think that sometimes we just put unfair expectations or burdens on guys and not everyone is Connor McDavid and a generational talent, and none of these three guys were. And I think it's hard getting into the NHL at first um, and adjusting, especially with those expectations. Maybe the fans turn on you a bit when they don't see success right away. Maybe you start questioning yourself and your own game. Um, but the fact is the coaching staff instilled confidence in these guys and kept working with them. And I think at points of this year, each of those players found confidence. And the fact that they're finding it all together at the same time is just something really beautiful um, and should be really encouraging. And I think there's a lot of lessons in there um, on adversity for young hockey players and really for anyone out there, just overcoming it and, and believing in yourself and staying true to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I wanted to, to ask you too about, so they've been playing so well and have been a real threat to the opposition. Does that kind of make Tampa Bay trying to kind of change up their matchup? So like, let's say they didn't, they didn't see them as a threat as much heading into the playoffs would they have thrown out their fourth line against them and you know just say okay these these guys are just they're not going to score on us but now like is it is is this like an active like thing they want to kind of mitigate they don't want the rangers to generate any kind of offense from there change up the match maybe you know i do feel like coaches have really downplayed line matching um it's not as big of a thing if anything deep pair matching feels like more of a thing these days um but i do still think that like Sorelli, who's their best defensive forward, they're going to want to put him up against the Benajad and Panarin. It just makes it tougher and it taxes the bottom of your lineup more. Gotcha. And uh, I wanted to move on to some questions from our Twitter followers. So we have one from at Alex Berthagen. And if I mispronounce any of these, I apologize. But I just wanted to make sure I get these questions on here because I was asking if anyone wanted to ask you any questions. So he wants to know, how did the Rangers keep future expectations realistic? Since they are over overperforming this year, performing as expected next year could mean a worse end result. Is there any danger in the Rangers achieving this much too early? That's a great question. Like, look, I don't, I don't think there's anything you can do to manage outside expectations. Those are an animal of its own. Um, I don't think there's any danger in how far they're going right now. Um, sure, you you draft lower in the draft. You have trust in your scouts, and you know that you'll find good quality players late in the first round. Really, though, I think the biggest thing is that these guys are all getting experience in the conference final round, no matter what. 
um, whether they advance or not. And that's only going to help you in the future. So next year, the expectation is to make the playoffs and go on a long run again. But that's what you want. Like, yes, the rebuild might have been shorter than expected. Um, and, and yes, they might still technically feel like they're in the rebuild, um, but they've got to keep building on this and building on this because the foundation is there. Yeah, this is that's a good I like the question that that he asked. Um, uh, this is something that I've also been thinking about, like, you know, the we're not supposed to be here. But at this point, we are here. And then next year, if we're not here, is it a disappointment? Kind of like um, I think a few you could kind of compare it to how the Yankees made it to the the American League Championship Series against the Astros in 2017. They went all the way to game seven. And then the following year, they they didn't make it as far. So it was kind of viewed as a disappointment. But that first year with against the Astros, they had a bunch of young players. And then they added Stanton. And then, you know, it just wasn't as good. So is it going to be that kind of same result? I don't think so. Because I still think that the team is young and, you know, unless they make another key uh, addition to line up with a trade or whatever, that's nothing to worry about right now for Rangers fans because we're in the fight for the Stanley Cup for the Stanley Cup right now. We're one of the three teams remaining now. Um, So just got to get through this series and hopefully they could pull it out. But the next question from at Dwayne Bacon 21 on Twitter how do you make the decisions of who to interview in games? And also, what player have you interviewed that has the best personality? Uh-huh. Um, so the decision, it's, um, there's like a lot that goes into it, honestly. Um, you know, there's certain players that can't be interviewed in game, like Panarin, for example, won't do any interviews on camera, um, which is, you know, it's a bummer, but I understand it's just not confident in his English in that sense. Um, typically, we find and find someone who's kind of relevant in the game, has a storyline in the game can't do guys that have already been interviewed like in the pregame or interviewed by someone else um I honestly now to start trying to go for the better talkers um you know like if I'm ever in doubt like with the Rangers honestly I find Adam Fox to be a really good go-to because I always find that he's got some great answers and has developed into a leader in that sense um and we try to keep it even you know like usually we'll try to interview whoever's winning after the first but even if the team's down entering the the third like that's when I interviewed Fox last like I think it's really good to get that perspective as well um as for best personalities I mean I honestly haven't interviewed Reeves yet which is such a bummer because he's been you know I think he's the biggest beauty in that locker but maybe the loudest or the funniest um at least on camera um on the Rangers team it's they're a very I think they come across as very polished they're definitely very coached so it's sometimes hard for them to break through I really enjoyed Capo Caco though I just found um, there's something so earnest about him. He really wants to be good, both on the ice, but you can tell he's trying so hard off the ice to say the right things, find the right words, and I find that very authentic. Something about Kako, since he entered the Rangers, there's something very funny about him. Like the way, like the things that he says, he comes across like kind of funny. Like he'll say something, and it just it's just funny. Like um, I mean, he has a natural way about him. Yes, yeah, that's what it is. Like I remember he's he scored this ridiculous goal. It was a prospect camp. He did like two wraparounds around the net and he scored the game winning goal in overtime and he's just like, Oh yeah, I just made this play or whatever and it just came across as just so nonchalant and it was just funny to me. I think there's some that's translated from Finnish, um, because the Finns just naturally are very blunt people. Um, you know, there's um not a lot of flowery language or euphemisms or anything like that they say it the way it is and something i've always appreciated about that culture 
Um, also, I wanted to ask you, so the, you make like a little gesture at the end of your interviews, you make a gesture to the player you're interviewing in their native language. So you will say, th- what is it? Thank you. It's usually thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw, I saw the one with Zibanejad. It was, I forget. It was probably game two. And I, I looked up the, what you had said. I just guess, is this thank you in Swedish? And it was. So is that, yeah, how so did that all start? These guys put so much effort into learning English and doing an interview in English. And it's really hard to express yourself in a second language. And I just wanted to recognize that. So I feel like it's the least thing that I can do to just to show my gratitude towards them. Um, is just to kind of remind people that this isn't necessarily easy for them or natural for them. So I've learned how to say thank you in all the necessary languages that I need to, which is Czech, Russian, French, Swedish, and Finnish. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. That's a lot of preparation for you. And uh, I think it's, I think it's original too. So like for, for you, people could identify you as someone that, you know, is willing to put in the work to learn another language like that. And it's, it's unique too. Uh, I don't see any other interviewers doing that, saying thank you or concluding an interview by, you know, approaching them in their native language. I like that a lot. Thanks. And I do find the guys appreciate it. Like, I honestly feel like that's the reason my producers requested Filipino with me for like four straight games um, because they just love the way he smiles when I say Dekuye. Um, he just seems very happy by it. <laughs> so if you had a chance to interview Reeves, if they told, tell you, who tells you to, to like go interview? Is um, it- it's collaboration and we have to okay. get it approved by the team and the NHL PR is involved. But you know what? Maybe you've inspired me. Today might be the day for Reeves. Okay. All right. So you got to, I got to get the assist for that. If you interview him (laughs) before the game, if he's doing the pregame skate and you're, he's mic'd up or whatever. Um, we'll have to see about that. Um, couple last questions for you. If you had to make a prediction, who comes out on top in this series? You know, before the season, I picked the Colorado avalanche over the Tampa Bay lightning in the Stanley cup final. And I like to stay consistent. So I'll keep that prediction, but I really think the series could go either way. I think game five is really critical here. Yeah, at this point in the at, at this point, two two in the series, best of three. Now it could go either way. Both are really good teams, and that's crazy that you pick Colorado over to like you've got two out of three teams remaining. That's incredible. I don't know how many of the other people in the studio got close to that. You guys probably keep track of that for bragging they rights do, and stuff, They do, they right? do. I've been doing pretty well. Um, Messier got all of his predictions right for the first two rounds, but I think I was only one off, so I'm coming for you, Mess. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Um, who, wins the, who wins the Stanley Cup? Is, is, that, is that Colorado, you say? Yeah, and I, I still believe that. I just feel like the recent trend is that the team that wins has gone through a sustained amount of regular season success, couldn't get it done in the playoffs, couldn't get it done, had to learn all these hard lessons and finally gets over the hump. And I just feel like that's where Colorado is in its timeline. A la St. Louis, Washington Capitals. Exactly. Tampa Bay also Tampa falls Bay. into that. Mm-hmm. All teams that seemingly couldn't make it deep into the playoffs, like past the second round. Eventually, the one year they get past the second round, they go on to win the Stanley Cup. Well, Tampa Bay, they couldn't get past the third round-ish. Um, right but then there was that year that they won the president's trophy swept in the first round and then you know just kind of those type of hardships that was the i think for that for that team for john cooper and for the rest of the squad that was just a wake-up call that they needed they don't need to be the best team they don't need to be perfect they just need to be the same that they have been but get it done 
in April and on, or whenever playoffs start now with uh, with how the seasons change because of COVID. Uh, also, who wins the con Smythe? That's tough. Um, I'm gonna go Carr. I just think he's doing some really special things this year, and um, I don't know. I, I, I just got a gut feeling on Cal. It would be an interest. It would be interesting to talk to Chris Chelios about you know the McCarr versus Adam Fox debate because I've seen a few people offer their takes on like who's better. But I mean, to me, they're both just incredible defensemen. And then like even if, no matter who wins the series, it's going to be an awesome matchup between defensemen. You're going to have Hedman on Tampa Bay against McCarr, or you're going to have Adam Fox against McCarr, and that's just that's just incredible. Yeah, and I really feel like with Fox and McCarr, like. We're looking at the two guys who are going to be the guy for years to come, and they're just redefining the position, redefining the way kids are going to play the position, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess this this could be the last question for for me. I've been asking people for a while, like all of my guests, I asked Jamie McClendon even last week, um, who do you think wins the Hart Trophy this year? Because I I've been on the Igor Shosturkin for Hart Train since for the longest time. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to expect you to say that, but uh, who do you no, think? No, I want to look up my ballot. Um, I, I never can remember it. <laughs> but Igor Zesterkin was either, I think he was third on my ballot. I think that we unfairly judge goalies and, and say, oh, they have their own awards, so we don't vote them for heart. But I just think he was so valuable to the Rangers during the regular season specifically. Um, they wouldn't be where they are without him. Um, it was a really tough year to vote. There were so many guys. Um, I think I have Austin Matthews first. Just so hard to do what he did to score that many goals. Roman Yossi was on my ballot. I think what he did is incredible. Uh, Connor McDavid, it's like stupidly off your ballot. Like, there were so many guys. I think I ended up leaving off Johnny Gaudreau and felt really weird about it. Um, he also had an amazing season. So it was a really challenging year to vote. Um, but I'm pretty sure I went Matthews. Yeah. I don't think you could go wrong with Matthews or McDavid. Honestly, if you take McDavid off the Oilers, there's no chance that they're exactly that they're in the same close. way as Sturkin. Like the team came together as a team in the postseason, but in the regular season, there were a lot of games that Sturkin just failed them night after night. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sturkin. I told Jamie McLennan, He asked me what I had thought, where the Rangers would be without Shesterkin, and I said they'd be competing for Shane Wright for first overall pick. And Probably. honestly, I think that's really... And I it's th- not I, a great year to be competing for the top pick, because with due respect to Shane Wright, he's not a Connor McDavid. Um, so I think the Rangers are much happier with where they are in the conference final and maybe make it to the Stanley Cup final. Bold pick, bold pick. I guess uh, Montreal fans won't like that. Uh, ice cold no. take of the week from Emily Kaplan. Shane Wright <laughs> is, not a, is not a Connor McDavid. Um, well, Emily, thanks so much for hopping on and, uh, the podcast with me, doing this with me. I know you're really busy. So it was, uh, it was great talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. And best of luck in your career. I can tell you're already off to a great start. You're natural at this. Thank you. Hey, Rangers fans. Thank you so much for listening to the ice cold takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at ice cold takes pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay.